What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is a little bit different, which I'm going to get into at the beginning because, to be honest with you, I just started this on a rant. I posted something on Instagram with a middle finger to the, the internet gurus who just give a black and white approach of calories in versus calories out is all that matters. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on how that's all that matters and that's the only way you're going to lose fat. And if you're not losing fat and you're in a calorie deficit, it has nothing to do with anything besides the fact that you're probably not tracking your calories right or you're probably not adhering properly. And I'm, I'm here to be a real coach, speak for the people and say that's bullshit because I know clients who are very diligent about tracking macros who are in a major deficit and not losing any fat because hormones come into play, because micronutrients come into play, because stress and sleep and performance and recovery and so many different things come into play. So I created an infographic about it. It's getting a ton of engagement. You can check it out. Go check me out on Instagram, um, instagram.com slash cody.boomboom or my tagline at cody.boomboom. But Go check it out, and then today I'm actually going to break down every single thing I talked about in that infographic. So I'm going to give you a checklist of plateau breakers, I guess I could call this podcast. But basically I run through the list of things that I would use as a coach to help you break through your fat loss plateau that have nothing to do with cutting calories. Yes, there is a ton of things that we can use. There's a ton of tools on my tool belt. And I only broke down a little bit, but it's 50 minutes of me just laying down the hammer on all these strategies you can use for fat loss. Now, before we get into that, I do want to make a quick announcement um, for more free content to give you guys. I recently did a – I got interviewed for um, a, a seminar series called Happy Gut, Healthy, Healthy Lives. And basically, this is hosted by a lady named Diana Purvis in – she is uh, somebody who has worked with cancer patients for years now, and she had, I mean, shit, a whole panel full of doctors on this um, webinar series. So I was really, really humbled, really honored to be asked to be interviewed on it. So basically, I am the fitness um, approach. I am the fitness speaker in this panel of people speaking on gut health. So I will bring to the table what training and exercise has uh, how it has an effect on gut health and how it can improve gut health and how losing weight through training will help your gut health, so on and so forth. Um, so you can listen to me talk about that. I believe it's a 30-minute talk where I really break down what I do with clients, um, how I help people with autoimmune diseases, how I help people with gut issues, um, how, what my coaching looks like, and she interviewed me to go over all of that. But you can also listen to a ton of different specialists in the gut realm, um, doctors, MDs, uh, scientists, all these different people. So it's a really cool opportunity to get really just a ton of free information on the gut. And I told her that I would share it on my newsletter, on my podcast, everywhere. And I wanted to because you guys love content, you guys love knowledge, and I want to bring you as much free knowledge as possible. So if you were interested in that, you can click the link in my description. If not, stay tuned, and we will get right to the episode. So without any further ado, let's get on to my checklist of fat loss plateau breaking strategies. Today... Got a solo show. We have no guest on the podcast today. And basically, uh, man, shit has just been crazy busy. And uh, we had a ton of guests just week after week and just multiple per week. Um, and I took a, a couple weeks to break um, from scheduling calls and guests just because time has been crazy, man. And I've, what I've wanted to do is actually what I'm going to be doing today is basically – pick a topic and just go in on it, right? I do a lot of Q&As, um, but we ha I haven't done a topic specific since, shit, since Theo was on the show, um, where we would just pick like uh, 
top exercises to build your back, top exercises to build your quads. What is the uh, the nutrition hierarchy? That's how that started, which led into an ebook, which led into a blog, which led into a bunch of different stuff. But it started with a podcast. So I wanted to do like a basic, basically just pick a topic and just go in on it. And today I'm going to go in on a topic, um, and that topic is fat loss. We're going to talk specifically about the checklist for fat loss, right? So I think there's a lot of things that come into play when it comes to fat loss. And I think that most quote unquote internet gurus will tell you calories in versus calories out, right? And I hear this all the time and it drives me crazy. And it drives me even more crazy when I see infographics or I'm not going to name any names, but I saw a picture and I think it was like a Facebook post or a tweet or a text or a note or whatever, you know, like when they put it on Instagram, it's basically like a screenshot of something they wrote out. Um, and it basically was just like hormones have nothing to do with it. Calories in versus calories out is all that matters. Stop eating so much or something like that. And the reason it triggered me is because it wasn't just some dude on Instagram that is a nobody. It was somebody who has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers, I believe, and who is a big name in the industry. And I don't know if it was a clickbait approach and he was just trying to trigger people or if he really believed that because I do respect the person. He's smart as hell. Um, but I saw that. And what I noticed after that, and I, and I do believe that he doesn't truly believe that, and I got to assume that there was something that came out of that as far as like opening a can of worms and letting him kind of elaborate more on it. But what I noticed was a lot of people commenting, a lot of people sharing, a lot of people starting to post their own things with um, just saying it's all calories in versus calories out, put the fork down, stuff like that. Um, and it kind of pissed me off because now a lot of people are reading these things on social media and they're assuming that they just need to go into a calorie deficit. And the, and the reality of it is that's not the truth. Um, I, I am very successful with a lot of clients who are not in a huge calorie deficit. We are achieving fat loss in a very small deficit, um, sometimes even at maintenance calories, right? And I don't think that you need to be in such a low deficit always or to, chronically to, to really push fat loss. And there's so many tools. There's so many adjustments. There's so many tweaks. There's so many things that we can throw into the mix that can – excuse me, that can shatter plateaus to get you to, to your goal. Um, there's a little burp. Sorry if I start burping. I've been drinking uh, LaCroix, LaCroix, LaCroix. Let me look at this can. What is this called? LaCroix. I think it's French. L-A-C-R-O-I-X. Um, some of you guys might know. Right now I'm drinking a natural mango essenced sparkling water. It sounds super feminine, but I've been trying to cut out sweeteners. So speaking of fat loss, strategies that could be one you never know um and th that one's actually let's talk about that for a sec that's actually up for debate um i know a lot of people um there's a lot of people listening to this podcast i know travis zipper travis zipper's a good friend um i had him on the show i talked to him relatively uh frequently and and he is very very big on no artificial sweeteners um anything like plastics and microwaves and anything pans and different things that can harm your hormones harm your gut health that is going to lead to fat loss and it's hard to say right because all the studies surrounding it it's kind of like well you know there's a lot of good studies that show that this could possibly cause detriment and then there's a lot of studies that show it does nothing stop worrying about it you're overthinking um, but the truth of the matter is we don't have a long enough study like no artificial sweetener, no artificial pan, all this shit that could possibly hurt our gut microbiome, that could possibly hurt our hormones, I believe is more of a what-if question, and that's why a lot of these people stray away from it. Now, as you guys know from the Zach Bush episode, there are things like glyphosates and stuff like that, and, and that can 
absolutely harm you. And I do think it's important to shop local, shop organic. Uh, but most of the reasoning and most of the, the in, in my opinion, most of the theories behind why to stay away from all this shit is honestly because it's a what if. We don't have a 20-year study to show us that Splenda is going to harm our gut microbiome, gain fat, anything like that. Um, there's studies that show it increases cravings and it, it leads to people eating more. And there's studies that show it it does the opposite and helps people with cravings and it helps people lose weight. So I think it's just more of a mindset thing. For me personally, I I flipped the switch recently when I realized, you, you know, we always have some diet pop in the fridge. And I was never like when I was younger, I drank soda like a fucking madman. And it was just it was bad because soda had a ton of sugar. And there was no reason why I was a little fat kid because drinking pop all the time. Um, so I switched to diet and eventually I just kind of grew out of the habit, but, but not long. I mean, once we got, once me and Shannon moved in together, we just naturally would buy like a case of soda, like diet Coke or something. And it would just be in there. You know, you have a dinner, you have a diet Coke. Um, when, when I drank alcohol, I'd drink vodka with some kind of diet pop and it was just a thing. Um, but then I noticed like I got like addicted to it. And I started drinking it more and more. I started chewing gum more and more. And I, I was just like, fuck, this is horrible. Like, instead of drinking water, I'm always referring, like, I want a Coke. And once I noticed and I became aware, and I'm sure there's a, you know, there's a lot of people who drink way more Diet Pop than me. And in some cases, I recommend Diet Pop. Because if you're drinking regular Pop, like, let's switch. You're going to lose weight. It's going to be healthier. Um, but I just noticed that I had a trigger or a, a craving for it. And because I had that craving, I was like, I need to cut this. So um, I haven't done Splenda in a long time. I do strictly Stevia in my coffee. Um, I don't do tea, so I don't really have to worry about that. But um, I've been cutting down on gum too because I was just chewing a shit ton of gum for some reason. Especially when I was in the gym. When I was in the gym training a lot of people all the time, man, I would literally go through a pack a day of gum. It was insane. Um, but I switched to this uh, – Crocs. And what was funny about it is I bought a huge case of it at Costco. So I went all in. I committed to it. Like, I'm drinking this shit now. No more pop. The first can I had, I even posted on it. I said, because I took a nice photo with my iPhone. And I was like, this looks like it tastes better than it is. And what I meant by that is this tastes like shit. <laughs> it, was, it just, it wasn't good. Um, but I bought a whole fucking case of it. I mean, Costco, you know how that is. You buy 72 cans in a freaking case. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to start drinking it. So I started drinking it, and it tasted like shit for the first probably few days. And what I noticed is because I haven't drank diet soda in over a week now, this stuff tastes amazing to me. Um, I had some – I had a little – like my breakfast the other day on a Saturday morning before a workout. Um, I was doing low-calorie day because I was going to uh, eat a ton of calories at a barbecue that night. I had like a kiwi – some fruit, uh, some strawberries, and then like a banana chopped up. And I just did like a um, super good grass-fed whey, vanilla, a little bit of almond milk, um, some ice, crushed ice, and then um, black coffee in the Magic Bullet. Oh, my God. This is amazing cold coffee. I, I, I brewed the coffee the night before and left it in the fridge. It was cold. But I had that fruit with it. And the fruit, I haven't had like a good bowl of fruit in a while. Literally tastes like candy. Like it literally tasted like sugar candy. Um, and I really do believe this wholeheartedly and I've heard other people speak on this, but I've never, I, and I've felt it a little bit because when I was younger, um, even just like late teens, uh, early adult, like before I really got into fitness, I didn't think some of the natural foods I eat today tasted so good. Like I can taste a bell pepper and 
think it tastes amazing because it's so sweet and there's so much flavor in it. But beforehand, I wouldn't. It would be bland, and I do believe it's because there was so much artificial and processed whether it's processed artificial sweeteners or processed sugar, it was being consumed that it was essentially like blunting or blanding my taste buds, I guess is the best way to put it. And, and it would create this <laughs> shitty flavor. So uh, this week, uh, this week and last week, I've been drinking more of this stuff. And every time I have a can of it, it tastes better and better. And I truly believe it's because I'm cutting out the artificial sweeteners. And I recommend that to so many people. So many people who are trying to lose weight, who struggle with eating veggies, who struggle with eating good foods. Like just go cold turkey on some of the stuff for just a little bit or just drastically reduce how much processed shit you have. And I promise you the flavors will enhance within just a few days. And you'll, you'll, it'll be so much easier to stay consistent because things taste so much better. Had to take a nice drink of that. I think it's funny when people do that. <sighs> they take a big, big sip. All right, so I don't know why I just went on that side tangent, but cut out the sweetener. That could be a possible fat loss checklist tool. But today, let's get into actually all the fat loss stuff before I keep ranting on random shit. Because I like to talk, guys. So today is going to be all about fat loss checklist stuff, as I was saying before. And I did an infographic on this, and it's already pretty popular. And I'm getting a ton of engagement on it because I think it's pretty – I think it's going against the grain because basically what I said in the post is like, fuck the internet gurus. Like I'm going to keep it real. Calories in versus calories out isn't all that matters. Coaching comes down to communication. It comes down to program design. It comes to individual um, programming and coaching and protocols and prescription. It comes down to more than just setting up your calories and saying, peace, talk to me in two weeks and let me know how things are going. There's so much involved with it. But one of those things that's involved with it is adjustments along the way. As a coach, we have a tool belt full of tools, and there's certain things that we can pull out and use to get people plat past plateaus. So today I want to break down some of those strategies. Um, and these strategies are essentially things that contribute to fat loss that are not directly related to calories in versus calories out. Yes, when you are adjusting along the way, there is times where you're going to have to cut 5 to 10% of the calories because they have room to do so and that's going to create a bigger deficit. And there's plenty of times I do this. So by me saying that calories in versus calories out doesn't I don't mean that it doesn't matter. I just mean that it's not all that matters because there's plenty of times where people at a plateau with me, I look at their calories, they're eating plenty of food and I go, okay, we're going to cut 5% of your calories via carbs or via fat and keep moving, right? Um, so there's different times, different places. So let's start with a another one strategy that I use um, to help and I think that'll help a lot of you guys is, is, is a calorie reduction via carbs while simultaneously increasing calories via protein. So we know that carbs and, and protein both have four calories per gram. So if I reduce 25 grams of carbs and add 25 grams of protein to your day, then automatically your calories are going to stay the same. But it's, it's a different composition of those calories. And this can work really well, especially with people who are insulin resistant or just have poor insulin sensitivity, which can come from being overweight. It can come from uh, too high of stress. It can come from shitty training, too much cardio. It can come from uh, a negative hormonal balance. It can come from uh, um, PCOS. It can come from uh, a past being, being obese in the past, even if you had a transformation. I've had plenty of people who have lost 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds who are lean now, but they're still, they still have uh, poor uh, insulin management, I guess you could call them. Insulin sensitivity is just not where it should be. And because of that, we need to do certain things to help 
negate that. And basically when you don't have good insulin sensitivity, you can have a harder time controlling and absorbing carbohydrates in the right place. So insulin is like – look at it as like a vessel that shuttles your carbs to one of two areas, fat stores or muscle glycogen. Obviously, we want to store it as muscle glycogen because then it is used to rebuild tissue. It's used to perform better in the gym and it's used to look leaner, look more, I guess, muscular. I could call it athletic, whatever. Um, and if it gets stored in the other place because insulin sensitivity is poor, then obviously it gets stored as body fat. And that's not what we want necessarily. Um, not even necessarily. It's obvious. But so one way to manage that is to bring up protein, drop carbs, especially if they're consuming less than a gram per pound. Um, if they're consuming less than 1.2 grams per pound of body weight and they're not super obese, and what I mean by that is if you have if you weigh 240 but your true body weight should be 170, then if you're already consuming two, 240 grams of protein, this does not apply to you because I think that that's a little too high. Uh, but for most people, especially if you only have 10 to 20 pounds to lose – then I would say like going up to 1 to 1.2 grams per pound while you cut carbs is totally safe. It's, it's harmless. Um, in fact, like you guys should go research uh, Dr. Jose Antonio because he's somebody I refer to with people who have concerns about consuming too much protein all the time. Um, once you get up to 0.8 grams per pound, there's not a whole lot of benefit to it all, if at all, right? Going more and more protein is not going to build more muscle. Um, we don't know if it's going to burn more fat. But what we do know is it's not going to harm you. Dr. Jose Antonio did a two-year study with people who were consuming two grams per pound of body weight, and they had zero health, negative health implications, no kidney issues, no um, tissue issues, no gut issues, no digestion issues, nothing. Now, granted, I can almost guarantee that they had a serious case of protein farts, um, probably some horrible gas, and, and I don't even want to know what their poops look like, but there was no issues. They didn't complain about anything. They didn't have any upset stomach issues or anything like that. So even to say that they probably had gas is 100% a guess because that's what I would assume. And maybe that's something that we experience when we first increase protein and our body gets used to it. Who knows? But what we do know is they had no health issues and these individuals actually lost more body fat during the study than the other group who was consuming less protein. Um, at a normal rate. I think the other group was consuming one gram per pound. And I do believe that the people who were consuming two grams per pound were actually consuming more calories because of the added protein. And it, so it wasn't a matter of they were consuming way less carbs and that's why they burned fat. I do believe they were consuming the same amount of calories um, equated to their body weight and everything. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. But there is a study on that and you could probably get it on jissn.com. Um, the Journal of International Sports Science Nutrition.com, I think it is. Um, but there's a really good study that proves that, right? So when, when I have a client who's stuck at a plateau, and I do believe that something could be adjusted via calories, like they're eating good foods, they're sleeping well, their stress isn't high, they're training well, then I might go, okay, we're going to take a period of time where we're going to bump your protein up and we're going to drop your carbs down because I want your body to start utilizing, tap into the stored uh, insulin that stored carbohydrates, stored fat, and really burning through. We're going to try to consume a little bit less carbs. We're not going to focus so much on performance, just maintaining it. We're going to focus on burning fat, improving insulin, and just having enough protein to maintain all your muscle and maintain everything, all the systems in your body because you're going to be bringing your calories. You're keeping your calories the same because you're bringing protein up. Um, so that's a small tweak that you can do. I've done that with so many people, and it works really well. Um, it's not for everybody, but it does work. And that's what this podcast is about is bringing you guys different strategies. Um, another strategy that we're going to talk about, and I'm basically, you guys, I'm basically just going to go down the list, right? Um, and, and again, 
the if you haven't looked at it yet, go check out my infographic post on um, on Instagram. It's called the Sustainable Fat Loss Checklist. So we did that. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is just making a small calorie deficit. And the big thing here is this isn't like a plateau shattering strategy, but this is something that you should be imp- implementing from the jump because a small calorie deficit is a steady it's a steady weight loss progress right it's it's setting yourself up for steady weight loss i would rather somebody lose 0.25 to half of a percent of their body weight than i would 2% of their body weight every week right because if you are losing 2% of your body weight every week so say that um let's for easy math you you are 200 pounds and you're losing 2%, you'd be losing four pounds a week. Now, that might make you happy because you see the scale, but that tells me that you're dropping water, which isn't going to be the best. You're probably dropping sodium levels because of that. You're probably cutting uh, specifically carbs, and you're probably in too low of a deficit because you're burning things through so fastly. And this is going to plateau. It's going to stop, and you're probably going to feel like shit very, very shortly, and we're not going to be able to sustain that. Now, if I create a very, very small deficit, um, and you start training and you're sleeping better and you drop four pounds the first four weeks, cool. I'm totally fine with that because everything else was in a controlled manner and you just happen to lose weight. You're a hyper responder and you're losing weight fast. That's golden. It happens. I'm happy with that. But if we're changing so much to try to elicit that four pound loss per week, that's a little too much. You're putting the pedal to the metal right from the jump and I don't think that's a smart approach. I think you should be losing 0.5 to 1% at most. Um, and, that's, and that's usually what we recommend um, for most people. So that's basically going to be one to two pounds a week. Right, And for most people, it's going to be anywhere between a quarter of a pound all the way up to one pound a week, especially if you have less than 20 pounds to lose. So it really, really depends on the individual. But um, this is why tracking is so important, guys. I track things. And if I lose a quarter of a pound a week on a cut, I'm pumped. Like that's good because that's pure body fat. We know we're not burning muscle tissue. We know that we're not in such a deficit that we're super hungry, that we're cranky, that we're stressed, that we're craving things, that our performance and recovery is going to shit, that um, our mindset is being tampered with so it's going to be harder to stay consistent. We want to maintain all that biofeedback as high as possible. So sleep, stress, cravings, mood, hunger, sex drive, performance, recovery, all these things are so important. But the bigger the deficit, the harder those things are to maintain. So when we create a small deficit, we are going to be able to sustain it for longer, and we're going to be able to maintain our muscle mass and all of our biofeedback. So it's very, very, very important to do that. All right, next. Next we got micronutrient density. So this is, this is really, really important, um, and I think this goes very unnoticed. And I've talked about this before because I know of a couple of very smart people. Um, I know Andy Galpin does this, and I know Jason Phillips does this as well with their UFC fighters when they're talking nutrition. And basically when we look at a UFC fighter, towards the tail end when they're getting ready to cut, when they're getting ready to get in the ring, um, in the octagon, and they're ready to do their thing, they're obviously in a major cut. Right. Obviously, they refuel right before to to bring their weight back up, to bring their water levels back up, sodium, carbs, all that shit. But leading up to that, that last week, it's depletion mode. Right. Get as light as you can to get on that scale and make weight. Uh, Powerlifters do this, too. Right. A lot of athletes do this. Um, But and and obviously bodybuilders do this, too. And if with for bodybuilders, this is even more important because for bodybuilders, it's not a okay. let's cut for. 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe 72 hours, up to a week at most, and then we'll refuel. It's it, They're like, okay, we're 20 weeks out. Let's start cutting. And they slowly do, like just cut more and more and more and more. Um, but 
when we're doing that, the, so the lower a calorie deficit we are in, the more comp, like the more our central nervous system and our immune system is in a compromised state. And what I mean by that is basically it's it's harmful. It, it's in security mode. It's in protection mode. It's in oh shit mode for lack of better terms. It's in a place where we need to protect it at all costs because – and a lot of people know this, like you'll push training super hard, you're on a cut, and then all of a sudden you get super sick and you're like, what the hell? I've been eating good. I haven't, like, haven't been around anybody sick. It's your body giving you a signal. You're underfed. You're underrecovered. You're pushing too hard. You're overstressed. That's just what happens. Now, if we're getting ready for, to get in the octagon, if we're getting ready for a powerlifting meet, if we're getting ready for a bodybuilding show, we are purposely putting our body in that compromised state, in that overstressed state. That's our purpose. That's our job because we know that if we create that stress – We'll have to adapt, and that adaptation is what we are searching for. So not doing the stressful shit is not an option, but what it is an option is increasing our micronutrient density within our calories because that's going to protect our systems, right? So making sure we're getting fruit every day because that's going to obviously provide fiber, lots of vitamins and minerals. It's going to provide fructose, which is the glucose and the fuel source for our liver, which is going to help so many systems in the body that do include for performance and in body composition that people really go un, no, it goes unnoticed to a lot of coaches and a lot of people out there trying to change. Um, so liver is super, super important. Um, it's going to provide us with basically all of our our minimal needs that we need. Now, the next piece is greens, obviously. Greens, again, even more vitamins and minerals, potassium, magnesium, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, all these different things that are protective of our hormones, of our nervous system, of our immune system, of our body in general. We need these things so much. Um, so it's super, super important to get our fruit, get lots of colors. So I always tell my clients, like, because my, and this is, this is funny, I stole this from my grandma. She used to always tell me, like, I lived with her for a little bit in time, and she used to always say, like, you got to get all the colors in the rainbow in your diet every day. And I always thought that was crazy and just gross because I didn't want to eat all these vegetables as I was a kid. But now I look at it, I'm like, fuck, she was so right. So I'm always switching the color of bell pepper, switching the color of fruit. Can, can I get light greens, dark greens, medium greens, different textures of greens? Like we want to get so much variety within our diet, especially when we're on a cut, because that's going to protect our body. It's going to protect our immune system. It's going to protect our nervous system. So what I just recommend to people is get micronutrient-dense foods. Look at, okay, what kind of meat are you getting? Right? What's your protein source? Can you pick the highest nutrient, the highest micronutrient-dense protein source? It's probably not going to be chicken and ground turkey. It's probably going to be a grass-fed, grass-finished steak with a little bit of fat in it. It's probably going to be whole eggs. It's probably going to be salmon and these different fish. Right, So you could still have chicken and everything, but can we throw those into the mix? What are your fat sources? Let's vary those. Can we get olive oil and coconut oil and macadamia oil? Can we get avocados and avocado oil? Can we get... Um, different nuts. Can we get the whole eggs? Can we get all these different things to get tons of micronutrients within our fat sources? What are our, what's our carb sources? Now on this one, when you're in a cut, it should predominantly be produce, I would suggest. So we should be getting lots of green, lots of fruits. I would try to get sweet potatoes for some of your carbs because they have high fiber. They have a lot of nutrients, a lot of potassium, all these things that we need. But if we're minimal on carbs, we might want something that's filling and going to fuel our performance because we don't get a lot of carbs to work with on a cut depending on what kind of cut you are. Now, I have a lot of clients who are losing fat every week at two to 300 grams of carbs. So there's certain people that can fit plenty in. But if you're on a lower carb approach, um, maybe you you are, and maybe you're on a higher fat approach, maybe, maybe you are sticking to like white rice because that's going to be immediate fuel for your workouts. It's going to be quick digest and easy on the gut. There's not a ton of nutrients in there, and that's okay. 
use the rest of your macros to fit nutrients in because the big point here is not taking that if it fits your macros approach way too far, which a lot of people do. They're on a cut and they're drinking protein shakes, taking a fiber gummy and assuming they're golden, right? That's not how this shit works. Like you need to be like, okay, I am actually going to be eating very low calorie foods because that's how I fit in more food volume. So I'm talking a massive salad with tons of romaine, lettuce, arugula, and spinach with um, with maybe there's blackened salmon in there with a hard-boiled egg and some cherry tomatoes. Like you got to get tons of variety in your food when you're, when you're on a diet because everything you're doing is putting your body into a stressed state. So let's move on from that because I could go on and on about that because I think it's a very, very uh, misunderstood and, and misused and just not used. It's neglected um, strategy for fat loss. Fibrous carbohydrates is next, and this one is simple. It's going to keep your satiation high, and it's going to keep your digestion on point. Um, the less calories we have, the more likely we are to slow digestion down, which is not what we want. So choose fibrous carbs, right? Like if you, if the only greens you're eating are like I had, uh, like I know a lot of people, I get this all the time with clients, like they eat salads and I'm like, okay, that's good. That's greens, but let me dissect that a little bit. What are you using for your leaves? And it's like romaine or iceberg lettuce. It's like just water. It's crunchy water, which is great. I use it all the time, and romaine does have some nutrients in it, but just not much at all. So I'm like, okay, let's throw some arugula and spinach in it and kale if you can because those all have a ton of nutrients that are very, very good for you that are going to support performance and everything, but they're going to have some fiber too. Um, Let's get some broccoli in there. Let's get some green beans in there. What is your carb source? Can we get some gluten-free oats that are going to have high fiber? Can we get some yams and sweet potatoes that are going to have fiber? What fruit sources are you eating? Let's make sure they're berries because berries are low sugar, low calorie, high fiber. See, like there's so many little switches you can make throughout your diet to increase your fiber and it's going to help you stay more satiated. It's going to help your body just digest and function better. It's going to keep your gut health more on point and it's just going to keep your body healthier in general. So that one is quick, simple and very obvious, but you need to have fibrous carbs when you're on a fat loss cut or just pushing for fat loss in general. Um, It's the biggest thing. Primary source of cardio should be neat and walking. And the reason I do say this to people is because it's low stress, it's low impact on the joints, it's super easy to recover from. Um, depending on how you go about it, you can actually uh, lower cortisol levels, which is going to help fat loss a lot. Um, you can specifically target fat loss because fat is the predominant fuel source for anything low intensity. Um, and I know the whole like cardio intensity zone is like the fat burning zone is a big it, it, it's a crock of shit, so I'm not saying like that, but I am saying that, you know what, we do know from from science, like you do predominantly burn fat while you're walking slow, so we should be moving more, and we we have studies to prove neat is a very, very good way to burn calories, uh, I mean the old saying goes, and we all know this, 3,500, I'm sorry, 10,000 steps um, equals 3,500 calories if you do it all week, so essentially 70,000 steps equals 3,500 calories, so if you are doing 10,000 steps a week, a day, every day of the week, you are burning 3,500 calories by the end of the week, which 3,500 calories equals a pound of fat. I feel like that was way fucking harder for me to explain than it is. But the point is, is if you increase your steps, you can easily burn a pound of fat. So for me, and I've talked about this plenty of times, I'm all about the minimal effective dose. So for me, I, that's one of my first things I do when I'm implementing a cut or I'm getting ready for summer this year. I was like, okay, how many steps am I doing right now? You know, like I am a trainer. I'm a very active person, but I sit down predominantly. I bought a stand-up little mini desk because I need to stand up more and I go on a lot of walks on my coaching calls, but 
I don't stand up as much as I used to when I was working hours in the gym, right? Um, so my need has decreased significantly when I took my business primarily online. Um, so for me, I had to look at my steps and I was like, okay, I'm literally only doing 5,000 a day. I'm going to double it. So I went to 10,000. And what that meant is like, shit, we ate dinner. I was like, hey, let's go on a family walk. So me and the family went on a walk. That meant in the mornings I would go on a walking. And that meant throughout the day I would stand up and pace around the house when I was doing calls. I would stand up instead of sit down. Little things like that. And they helped. They pushed fat loss and I didn't have to change calories, right? So that is a huge way. And then above all else, number one, cardio is healthy for you. We know that it's going to help all the systems of your body, it's actually going to help you strength train more because if your cardiovascular system is more on point, your endurance throughout a training session is going to be more on point as well. So it's important to implement some kind of cardio for your lifting as well and your metabolism. But it, it's the this is this neat and just going on little walks throughout the day. If it's going to burn the same amount of calories as waking up and doing 30 minutes of fasted cardio on the treadmill every single day, then why not do this? Because this is so much easier to adhere from to. Oh, you have a break at work for 10 minutes? Cool. Go on a seven-minute walk. You'll be back three minutes early. You have a 40-minute a, a lunch and it only takes you 20 minutes to eat lunch? Cool. Go on a 20-minute walk if you can. Right? Pick, stand up and walk five minutes at a time throughout the day. It'll add up. You track your steps. You build that, that momentum. You build that adherence, that consistency. It will burn more fat and it's so much easier to adhere to. So I'm a big fan of neat and I'm a big fan of walking because it is, it's going to – if anything, it's going to decrease your stress. It's somewhat meditative, very, very low impact on the joints. In fact, it'll help um, inflammation in the joints because you're moving, but you're moving at such a low intensity that there's no direct like hard impact just like running is. Like, right When you run, um, I want to say a mile is 2,000 steps, so that's 1,000 steps on each ankle and knee and hip, and I might be wrong with the amount of steps, but the point is is that's a lot of hops on each joint. Where you're walking, it's, it's completely different. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. And I think before you implement anything else, you need to implement that, right? I would implement that before I even cut calories with somebody because it, it's just so much easier for them to adhere to. And again, this is all about sustainability, guys. I am in the business of creating sustainable results. So with my clients, I am doing everything I can to make it easier, less stressful, and make sure that they can adhere to it now, tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year, even when I'm not around. Right? When I'm not working with them, I still want them to be able to adhere to what I taught them. So maybe they're not doing the 10,000 steps a day in a year, but they know that if they need to cut a little bit, they can implement that and it'll be easy and they have the tools and the knowledge and the, and the education to do so because I taught them. 50-50 blend of strength and hypertrophy training. So we got to understand that like building isn't the goal right now, right? So when I have somebody who's on a cut and they're like, all right, so I want to burn a bunch of fat and I also want to grow my biceps. And I'm like, okay, well... We can continue to maintain your biceps and let's just focus on burning as much fat as possible so you can better see the definition in those biceps. Because at the end of the day, guys, we know this. It's very, very hard to build muscle if you were in a serious cut mode. Now, that being said, I did write an article pretty recently um, on John Russin's website, drjohnrussin.com. Um, the only way to burn fat and build muscle simultaneously, I think is what we called it. Go check it out, um, drjohnrustin.com slash blog. Probably it's probably one of the first ones because it was a very recent article. But I do talk about how you can do both in there. And the thing is with doing both is it's possible, but it's a very, very slow process. And it's for the most advanced individual. So if you're already lean and you want to be super lean, but you want to build muscle at the same time, or you're a newbie, this is great for you. And what I talk about is 
setting up your training very specifically um, so that frequency is high. I talk about supplementation to make sure that you're supporting your training and no muscle is being lost. I talk about sleep. I talk about so many different things. You have to be super, super dialed in. So it is possible. But the best way to maintain muscle, um, the most optimal way to maintain muscle while you go through a cut is going to be having a 50-50 blend of strength and hypertrophy work. Um, you can't do high rep training throughout a cut and expect to maintain all your muscle because it'll give you a pump, but it's not stimulating your nervous system um, enough and it's not creating enough stress to force your body to maintain all the muscle it possibly can because it's in scarcity mode. And we got to remember when we're dieting, when we're trying to push for fat loss, our body is going out of homeostasis. It's going out of its comfort zone. So yes, you are absolutely pushing it into a state of scarcity. So what we want to do there is give it the best stimulus to force it to maintain everything needed and what that what we're going to we what we want to do for that is pretty much low rep strength training work so i want you in the three to six rep range going as heavy as you can you don't need to do a ton of sets in this because we're not focused on building strength or building muscle we're focused on maintaining and what that means is we want to let's say that your one rep max is 315 on the squat and what i want you to do is throughout that cut i want you to hit 80 to 90% of that 315 for anywhere between one to four reps. And I want you to do that every week because I want you to maintain that 315 one rep max. And I want you to be able to track your weights and see that you are maintaining your strength. Um, now, as you get further in a cut, if you're not implementing diet breaks and refeeds, and, and let's say you have a show in mind, so you have a deadline and you are serious about this cut and you can't, maybe you have to cut calories and stuff. The truth of the matter is you're going to lose strength and that's okay. But the best way to maintain that muscle, it's been studied and shown in studies, is going to be staying in that you know, 80, 90% rep range and doing some strength work. Now, after that strength work, you should go into the 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 rep range and do a variety of hypertrophy work as well because obviously the best way to build muscle is to do a combination of both. So we would assume that uh, maintaining muscle is the same way, and that's what studies kind of allude to. But I see a lot of people who go into bodybuilding shows, go into physique shows, go into bikini shows, trying to lose weight, and all they do is super, super high reps. And my most successful clients on a fat loss program are all in the lower rep range. Like we are doing heavy work because we want them to be doing heavy work. So um, I'm a big, big believer of blending the two. Get some strength work in. Get some low rep work in. Get a little bit of hypertrophy work in. It is more fun to a lot of people. You feel that burn. You get that sweat. You burn a lot of calories doing it. So it's smart to do both. But you can't skip on the heavy, um, heavy strength work. And I see a lot of people skipping on that. Carb bunching in one half of the day. Um, so what I mean by this is basically like train in the evening is probably going to be most ideal. They've done a lot of studies on this. And what I have seen from the literature is actually that training at 3 p.m. showed to be the most optimal time. Um, and it just happens to be that my workout period is 3.30 p.m. And that's because my schedule just led to that way. I got to, you know, Shannon's got to get her workout in time. I got to work. I got to take care of the baby in the morning. So I can't do morning sessions anymore. 3.30 ended up being my time. But what studies show is that's actually the best time. And I do believe – I think it's because when you get – when you train at 3.30, 3, 3.30, you – I think it was between 3 and 4. But that gives you enough time to calm your cortisol down, to calm your nervous system um, into the parasympathetic mode, um, kind of slow down and kind of go on the decline before bed. So people aren't up and wired all night because their adrenaline is high. Um, it gives them enough time to unwind. But – 
it's it's enough time in the morning to your joints to be lubricated, your your spine, uh, your disc, everything to be lubricated and healthy, and, and inflammation to be down. When you wake up, you're compressed. You've been sleeping all night. You need to open up the joints. You need time moving moving throughout the day. You need to be up on your feet. So I think that's the main reason. And on top of that, usually you have two meals in your belly at least uh, before 3 p.m. And usually when you have a couple meals in your belly, you're going to be better off. You're going to be better fueled. Again, inflammation is going to be a little bit lower. You're going to have hydration, sodium, all these different things we need to train. So I do believe that's probably the reason. Now, the reason I like to do carb bunching is because this is what made the carb backloading approach and book that John Kiefer came out with so popular is because people were carb backloading. And basically what it meant by that is we train in the evening and we eat all of our carbs after our workout. And we, what they found in studies is it had nothing to do with all your carbs being in this post-workout window or all your carbs being at night necessarily, actually. Um, there are some studies that show eating your carbs in the evening will help put you into rest and digest, to parasympathetic mode, and help you sleep better because of hormonal levels. But that's another topic. Um, but what it basically showed is that if you take – part of your day and put all your carbs in there, it balances out your insulin levels. So now your insulin's not spiked throughout the day. Now, I have some clients who are on three, four, 500 grams of carbs. For those people, it's almost impossible to eat all your carbs at night. But those people also have such good insulin sensitivity that they can consume three, four, 500 grams of carbs a day. So for them, it's not as important. Now, for me, I am on my fat loss right now. I'm on a cut and I actually am cutting right now. And I'm, I'm down three and a half pounds in the last uh four or five weeks. So again, on that half a pound a week weight loss. Um, and what, what I'm consuming 365 grams of carbs and we just lowered it this week. We were at 380 grams carbs a week or a day. So, and I still do this approach in the mornings. I don't eat any carbs. My breakfast is a good amount of coconut oil, um, that I cook in. And then I do three whole eggs with some egg whites. Then I do my fish oil, which I take six of those fuckers. So it's six grams of fat. Um, which may seem like a lot to you guys, but do some research. Look at examine.com. Look at um, the muscle and strength pyramids. Look at all my shit. Like we'll tell you two to three grams of EPA, DHA, uh, combined EPA and DHA, DHA, um, combined two to three grams of that is going to be ideal for fat loss, insulin sensitivity, skin, all these me- metabolic processes, all these things. Um, so to get two to three grams, you usually got to consume more than, than you would imagine. And it's smart to get a really good quality fish oil. But anyway, I have that, then I do like I do a bunch of colors, so Brussels, kale, peppers, mushrooms, all in my in my uh, scramble. So now I have you know 15 grams of fat from eggs, uh, almost 10 grams of fat from coconut oil, six grams of fat from that. I usually have about 25 to 30 grams of fat just in my breakfast, just in my breakfast alone, and it's very very low carb. The only carbs in there are green veggies and pepper, a little bit of pepper, mushrooms, um, and then a lot of protein. So I do this because it keeps my insulin levels low in the morning. What this does is allows your body to essentially set the tone of what it's going to be burning for the day. And it doesn't spike my insulin up and down. And Charles Poliquin has a lot of great information who has been a guru in the industry for years and years and years, decades. Um, He swears by this. He invented the meat and nuts breakfast. And it's the same thing. You eat a steak and some nuts, fat and protein. That's it in the morning, which I prefer eggs because meat and nuts is kind of weird to eat in the morning but basically what this shows is we're keeping insulin levels and blood sugar controlled plain and simple when we do this fat loss is going to be easier for our body especially in the morning so i go on a walk in the morning it's going to help my body utilize fat for that walk then um before my workout so i only eat three meals a day three meals and a shake so now at about 12 31 p.m 
two to three hours before my workout, because I work out at 3, 3.30, I am going to jack up that insulin and I'm going to consume a carbohydrate meal. So for me, that usually is some kind of meat, chicken, steak, fish, whatever, um, and usually some white rice. Uh, maybe I'll do oats with a little bit of butter in it. Um, I'll cook the meat and coconut oil if I do meat, whatever it may be. I always have a little bit of fat because it's going to slow the digestion down a little bit, but it's really only like 5 to 15 grams tops, right? There's not a ton of fat. It's pretty much just carbs and protein. That's my pre-workout fuel. Then I work out. Then right after my workout, I do have a, uh, a shake. So it's either just protein or it's a protein in a spotted banana or it's like a very starchy banana or it's protein and cyclic dextrin, which is usually the case. The reason I do that is because I don't eat dinner for two to three hours after my workout just because it takes time for me to shower, get the baby chill, cook. So for me, I want to mitigate the cortisol response from training, calm that down so I can go right into parasympathetic mode, which is going to allow my recovery to speed up, and it's going to allow my body to digest the food that's coming at dinner a little bit easier. But at this point, I've done no carbs all day until halfway through the day, 1 p.m., 1.30 p.m. At that point, now I'm jacking my insulin up because I'm going to eat, digest, train hard, eat more carbs, eat a little bit more carbs, then I go to bed. So now I'm splitting my day in half. So what I did there is I bunched my carbohydrates into one period of the day. So out of a 24-hour period, all of my carbs fall into that four to six-hour window. And because of that, I'm going to manage insulin levels better and I'm going to utilize those carbohydrates better. Probably going to sleep a little bit better, going to have a healthier insulin sensitivity. That is going to lead to better fat loss. So this carb bunching approach, I mean, I've, I've read and, and heard of uh, Martin McDonald, uh, Christian Thibodeau, who I just had on the show, Charles Poliquin, um, Mark Coles, Ben Pakulski, a lot of very, very, very popular. And this is why intermittent fasting works so well. Yes, fasting is great for you. I'm not discrediting the fasting part. But look at any uh, lean gains approach of intermittent fasting where people are shredded. They do this approach with carbs. So carb bunching is a very, very smart strategy. Now, if you are a genetic freak and you know who you are and you can consume 500 grams of carbs a day and you stay very, very lean, there's no reason why you can't have carbs all day. I have clients that have carbs every single meal a day because for some people, it's hard to digest and break down 100 grams per meal. For me, it's not an issue. Um, so that could be a reason why you have to split up carbs throughout the day. Um, another reason could be that you just eat too many carbs per day to support your performance. Um, if you're a high-level CrossFit athlete or if you're training hard seven days a week, um, like I have some guys doing John Russin's uh, FHT Pro Team, I think it is, where him and like a very small select group of guys, they train the same program. And it's intense and it's seven days a week, but it's so well designed that they can manage the recovery right. Well, for those guys <laughs> – we're eating carbs all day. Like it's not an issue, right? But now, not that they couldn't do it the other way, but for most of those guys, because recovery demands are higher, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have carbs all day, every day. But for the majority of people, the strategy works so well. Um, and last but not least, if, if you are just hopping into dieting, you're just hopping into a big nutrition change and you swear by oatmeal for breakfast. The last thing I'm going to do is say, hey, stop eating oatmeal for breakfast because we haven't even taken a simple step yet. So I don't want you guys to take these strategies and go, oh, I have a new client. She's 45 years old, has three kids, a busy job, and she um, eats out for four out of five meals. Don't take the lady's oatmeal away. Build some smart habits first. This will come down the road. <laughs> this is a tool. Last but not least. Hit cardio placed on strength days as finishers. And the reason I did this is because we got to remember that our body has energy systems, right? We have uh, low-intensity cardio, for example, is a certain energy system. We have you know anaerobic, aerobic pathways. We have ATP. We have strength training is a certain metabolic 
process, certain energy system. Um, our metabolism views these things as a certain way. Our body views these things as a certain way. Our nervous system sees these things as a certain way. And they all pertain different levels of stress. The issue with high-intensity cardio is it's a high level of stress on our central nervous system. And that can cause a lot of fatigue and that can cause a lot of stress, lack of sleep, cravings, diminishing returns, um, plateaus. It can create so many different negatives that people forget about. Um, this is why I am a big fan of low-intensity cardio. And this is why so many bodybuilders use so much low-intensity cardio. It works. Now – what I suggest people do is because high-intensity cardio does work too. We know this for a fact. But what we notice people doing is we're training. Let's say we're lifting three to four days a week strength. And then we're doing high-intensity cardio the other two to three days. So now we're doing high-intensity training six days a week because our body will view – like if you look at a strength set, you're doing a heavy squat for five reps and then you take two minutes rest. Your heart is through the roof after those – five reps because the intensity is very, very high on those heavy squats. Then you take a short rest and then you get back to it. That's a high intensity interval. We just don't look at it the same because quote unquote high intensity interval training is circuit based. It's kettlebell swings, it's prowlers, it's sprints, it's rope slams. So if you understand that your heart rate and your metabolism and these different systems and different like things inside of our body are responding very similar ways to strength training as they are to high intensity cardio you got to remember that you can't do too much of it and you can't do – you don't – you're not going to benefit from doing the same thing every day. So even if you can recover from it, you're not always going to benefit from doing high intensity six days a week, right? So what I like to do is go, okay, if we're lifting Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, four days a week, what you're going to do is you're going to do your strength work. And at the end of each strength work, we're going to do three to four intervals of high intensity cardio, whether it's ropes, prowlers, salt bikes, sprints. It doesn't matter. Swings, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that we are going explosively for 10 to 30 seconds. We're taking a 45 to two minute, 45 second to two minute break, and then we're repeating that bout for three to four rounds. It's not a ton. You can push that up to six if you drop the the intensity periods, but you don't need a ton of it. You're just trying to create that metabolic effect, that heart rate escalating effect at the very very end of your training. Uh, muscle protein synthesis will actually increase if you do it at the end of strength training, which means you're going to build more muscle in the process as well, and you're going to get the benefit from that. Now, on Wednesday, after you've done that for Monday, Tuesday, you lifted and did your high-intensity finishers. On Wednesday, you got to do some low-intensity cardio. It's an active recovery day. So maybe you are using the sled, but you're going to be marching slow for like three minutes on nonstop and a couple-minute break in between. So it's a lighter load. It's weighted. Maybe you throw the weight vest on and you go on a walk. Maybe you just walk. Maybe you go on a treadmill and walk. Maybe you go on a stationary bike and pedal slow. The point is, is you're doing an active recovery because Thursday you're going back to that lifting and high intensity mode. Um, this is going to be, this is crucial for a lot of people. Um, now, if I have somebody who comes to me who is a bikini competitor or a physique bodybuilder, um, and they are doing four to six days a week of lifting, bro splits, upper lower split, doesn't matter. They're lifting and all they're doing is low intensity cardio. Well, in their case, I might go six days a week of high intensity. I might go Monday, Tuesday, just lift, still high intensity, but you're just lifting. Wednesday, we're doing high intensity cardio conditioning, Thursday, so on and so forth. Because some people will respond better to that, especially if they've never done it before, especially if their neurological profile is uh, accustomed to that, which you guys know of um, from the podcast I did with Christian Thibodeau, which me and Thibs are going to do another one here soon. We're just, our assistants are trying to lock in a date for us to be able to work together on it um, to follow up on that because I got a lot of good feedback. But basically, we will do six days a week of 
high intensity mode through lifting and training if that specific individual calls for it. But 75% of the time, you don't want to do it six days a week. And you definitely can't do it six days a week for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks because you need to deload. And I do believe your body will respond better from a body composition standpoint if you are changing the energy systems you're using, right? Even if you look at a lot of CrossFit athletes that are shredded, they do change things up a lot. And a lot of those ones that are shredded don't just do CrossFit. They do functional bodybuilding. They do some like long steady state jogs, right? They're, they're swimming. They're doing these different things. And what you notice is they're using every energy system and pathway possible and they have the best body composition because of it. Um, so my main point there is you can't overstress the system, which can come from any type of car cardio training, anything just done too frequently and too much. But the main point is, is you got to switch the modalities you're training with. All right, guys. So that breaks down. I mean, shit, 50 minutes of fat loss strategies that you can use and you can put to play that aren't just strictly cutting calories. These are things that I have used in the past. I have, I could go honestly another 50 minutes because I have a very big tool belt full of tools of things that I use for clients that break through plateaus to help them lose fat, to help them build muscle, to help them move forward with their results. Um, but there's only so much I can talk about on the podcast. But I wanted to bring this up because I think there's too many coaches out there that are getting very big and they have a big reach that are saying all that matters is calories in versus calories out. And the truth of the matter is, is that doesn't take into play everything. It doesn't talk about our hormones. It doesn't talk about our recovery. It doesn't talk about our nervous system. It doesn't talk about our sleep. It doesn't talk about our stress with our family and work. It doesn't talk about the energy systems we're using. It doesn't talk about our adherence and how well we can actually stick to those macros and calories for a long period of time. So if you're somebody that agrees with me, if you're somebody that is tired of people just making it black and white and saying it's as simple as this, put the fork down, just stop eating. If you believe that there is more to coaching, there is more to calories, there is more to fat loss, there is more to all this, and you agree with everything I just said, please do me a favor. Share this podcast on your Facebook, on your Twitter, on your Instagram, on your email. Give it to somebody. Give me a shout out. Tag me at Cody.BoomBoom on Instagram or Twitter, wherever. I just want this message to get out to more people because too many people are, are being nailed down to a black and white approach of just calories. And what you can do to, with, for me, with me, to help spread this message even more is to simply share this podcast. I appreciate you guys so much for listening, and I will catch you next time. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the nutrition hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. 
Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.